We are doing a series called Gathering to Go, and it's out of the book of Acts. And Acts is this part of the Bible which is telling the story of what happens after Jesus came and died on the cross. He rose again, and he ascended into heaven, and he sent his spirit on people who follow him, who believe in him. And what is the story? What happened with them? That's, the, that's what the book of Acts is. And last week, what we talked about is there was this leader of the Jewish people, of the people that followed what we call the Old Testament of the Bible or the Hebrew Bible. There were those, those folks, um, and one of their leaders was totally against this spread of Jesus, this talk about Jesus, this, these people that were starting to follow Jesus, so much so that he approved of one of their leaders being executed, so much so that he started getting warrants to arrest people. And he was arresting men and women in Jerusalem, the major city where, where people were starting to follow Jesus and the movement was growing. He was arresting them and they couldn't stay in Jerusalem anymore. People who followed Jesus could no longer openly follow him in Jerusalem and they started going all over the place. So he is, he's not content there. He has started to destroy the church in Jerusalem where it had gained traction, where it had been established, where it was growing in power. And he said, we're not stopping there. We've, we've started to get things to go in reverse there. He's going to Damascus. He's going north, modern-day Syria. He's going to go there because there's people who follow Jesus there. It's going there. And on his way... Jesus comes, the living Jesus comes and encounters him. The bright light, a voice comes, says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? What are you talking about? When you are destroying all these people, you're doing that against me. Saul, the man's name Saul, he goes blind. He can't see. He gets led by the hand to Damascus. And then there's another vision to a man named Ananias. And when he's talking to Ananias, the Lord says, I want you to go pray for this Saul. So he goes and he prays for Saul. He lays his hands on him and, and Saul can see again. And Saul believes in Jesus and Saul gets baptized. That was the story from last week. That's where we're picking it up this week. Is So what happens after Saul can see and now he believes in Jesus and, and now he's um, ready to go. So here we are, chapter 9, verse 19. It says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them prisoners to the chief priests, to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. 
He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. This is the reading of God's holy word. So, this, in this story, Saul goes from the one who's arresting people, who's causing the church to go into hiding, who's causing uh, people great pain, he goes from that person to becoming an advocate for Jesus. And I want to look at a few of the verses highlighting something about how he's going about this. So uh, verse 20, it says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. At once he began to speak about Jesus being the Son of God. And I'm thinking about this at once. So Saul doesn't just wait and wait until he's, okay, am I really sure? Do I have enough confidence? Do I know enough? Am I? He just goes at it at once. Now, he's in a little different position than many people who have a conversion where they come to know Jesus. Because he probably has at least the first five books of the Bible memorized, if not the whole Old Testament. He wasn't, he wasn't someone who was completely godless or following the pagan gods. He was someone who was following the Bible, who knew the Bible, who was living zealously for God. He already knew all of this. And it wasn't just that he was smart and knew, knew all about the Bible. It was also that he was practicing it. He was zealous for God. He was zealous for God. He thought Jesus was like a cult. These people that follow Jesus, they're a cult, and he's trying to destroy the cult. So he, he was a person who, who was living for God, who knew the Bible. It's just that when he came to encounter Jesus, the real thing, the living God, and he believed in Jesus, all of a sudden, all kinds of things in the Old Testament, he started realizing that points to Jesus. That's who the Messiah is. It all starts clicking into place, and so immediately he's able to take the Bible and talk about it in ways that some of us aren't. However... I will say that a mistake I think that often happens for people who haven't really been following Jesus, maybe they haven't been exposed much to church, or maybe they just haven't been taking him seriously, and then all of a sudden they start to say, you know what, I want to live for God. You know what, I, this is, I, there's an awakening, I want to live for Jesus, is that then we think, you know, and someday, someday I'll be ready to kind of like do stuff for him. Like maybe in a few years. Maybe if I go to church enough, maybe if I do enough of these other things, at some point I'll be able to do it. Instead of at once, at once, I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to give it to Jesus. Not like, you know, at some point, I think there's something in the back of our heads like, well, someday maybe I'll be ready. Or if only I had been like some of these other people, then I could be used more by God. No, what's happened up until this point God can use. What are your gifts? What are your skills? What are you good at? Who are the people that are in your orbit? There are tons of people who if I invite them to church, they're going to be like, oh yeah, right. What do you charge commission? I know you work there. No, no thank you. But if you do, it's different. And especially if you are like a recently started to come to churcher. Don't wait until you lose credibility with the non-church people to invite them to church. 
Do it while you're barely in the door. That, I mean, they have done studies. The people that are most likely to help other people come to know Jesus are usually the people that are fresh. We all have opportunities, but we, we can take what we have and we can use it at once, right away. What are the gifts you have? You know, Bruce is talking about this, this trip he's, that we're trying to organize, we're trying to get to go help people down there. Let me tell you, if I go on one of those trips, it doesn't go so well. I mean, I went, I went on, I remember work, work trip, first, first job, two months in, youth pastor, we're going on a work trip to West, West Virginia, okay, and that guy puts a board in front of me, okay, and he says, okay, here's the line, we're just, you know, just cut down this line, and so I took that, that saw, and I just went, you know, right, and he's, he's right across the board, he's saying, no, just right, he's got the line drawn, okay, and I just, just right there. You know, they basically put me in there, just pray that you don't ruin the trip. Why don't, you know, your job is going to be you stay over here. That's not true for others of you. You've got gifts, skills where you can utilize that. And, and everyone can be, even people like me can be utilized on those trips. But I'm just saying, like, we all have different gifts. We have them right now. We can put them to service at once. At once. Okay, wow, that was way too long on one verse. Here we go. We're going to go verse 22. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. He is talking about Jesus. Now here it says he's proving that Jesus is the Messiah. How is he doing that? Probably in this context, it means he's taking the passages of the Old Testament and he's saying, see how, see how this is talking about Jesus. See right here where it says that there's going to be a Messiah and he's going to be like this? This is what happened with Jesus. And he's proving from the Bible that all these things about the Messiah are true about Jesus. There's, there's thing after thing after thing after thing in the Old Testament that we see Jesus fulfilling in his life. That's probably what it is here. But if you look at Saul's life in a whole, what we come to find out is he would go places where they didn't know the Old Testament. They weren't Jewish. They were Greek, and he, he say, I didn't come to you with, with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of God's power, where he would do signs and wonders and miracles. And that's how it was proved. You know, his life itself was part of the proof that he would work, that he would work full-time job and do the ministry at the same time because of how he sacrificed, because of how he was willing to suffer, that was part of proving that Jesus was the Messiah. But one of the things that, as I'm going through these, the four verses that I've picked out, I want you to see he is laser-focused on talking about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. So, the next verse is verse 27, I believe. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Now that's something to speak fearlessly because what, what I read earlier, they were trying to kill him. He found out they're trying to kill him. Now I'm thinking about this. So in certain situations... I'm kind of hesitant to use, to like say out loud the name Jesus, to talk about Jesus, to say, hey, it's not okay that we're being racist here, that you're making racist jokes, because I don't think it's good. Like, I'm hesitant. I'm, 
Nobody's trying to kill me. Like, they're trying to kill him, literally. And he knows, he approved of an execution. He knows these things happen. And yet he spoke fearlessly. So I think about what are my hesitations for talking about Jesus? What am I so afraid of that I won't speak the name of Jesus? Because we're talking about a guy who they're trying to kill in Damascus. Then verse 28, so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He's speaking boldly here. This is the place, Jerusalem, where he did see the execution happen. This is, he knows what he's getting into. He is still going to talk about Jesus. I want to look at one passage from last week, a couple verses from last week um, that we talked about, and it's this vision to Ananias and what it was said about Saul. Verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, in there, we see clear instructions. He is going to proclaim the name of the Lord, the identity of Jesus, the authority that comes through Jesus, what happens through Jesus. He's, gonna, he's his chosen instrument to do that, to proclaim. That's say and do, show and tell, make known Jesus. That's the instructions. And he gives him a little sense of, and here's going to be some of the results of you doing that. If you do this, the results are, now, if it's me, and I'm going to talk to a person that I've got in mind who I think he is, he is the right one for this task. He's the one I want to do this. And so I'm going to tell him that so he will respond and do it. Here's what I might tell him that's true. I might say, Saul, I want you to do this because if you do, people all over the Roman Empire and Mediterranean world will come to believe in Jesus. Pagan people that worship lots of gods will come to believe in Jesus. Violent people will give up their violence and they will come to know Jesus. People from multiple different cultures, you will have impact. You will, you will change eternal destinies if you go and proclaim my name. In fact, it won't even be just in your lifetime. People will still be reading words that you wrote for years and years. This is going to go into places, lands you don't even know exist. People that aren't yet born. Your words are going to make it so that their eternal destinies have changed. I... So Saul, what do you say? Are you in? We don't, maybe he said all that. That is what happened. But instead, we get, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's not a good sales pitch. Instructions are clear. Proclaim Jesus. Show what Jesus is like. Do what Jesus did. Be willing to talk about Jesus and the things that Jesus says. That's, that's what you're supposed to do. And when you do it, you're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. And Saul, as we see, at once does it.
And pretty quickly, it's clear, he could get killed for it. And then he goes to the next place. And he boldly speaks the name of Jesus there. Wow. So in other parts of the Bible, which are letters that this Saul, who changed his name to Paul, eventually wrote, you see things like, if you live to the Lord, if we, when we live, we live to the Lord. When we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Somewhere else he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Somewhere else he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Saul really believed, he really believed he could trust God for anything, through anything, no matter what happens. The best is yet to come. The promises on the other side of this life into eternity far outweigh. In fact, that's what he would say. I consider our present sufferings do not compare with the glory that will be revealed in us for those who believe, for those who believe in Jesus and remain faithful to Jesus. Saul was a man who initially was trying to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trying to obey God zealously as much all the way. It wasn't just he was trying to be a pretty good person, a good enough person. He was trying to be the best person. And what he recognized is that wasn't enough. His trying to be super, super good. I'm going to show God, see how good I am. And he turned into a murderer. It is, it is someone who recognizes, I need Jesus. I can't fix the mistakes I made. I can't ever be good enough. I need Jesus. And God says, yeah, I can use him. I can use him. So, as remarkable as Saul is, as much as his story of willing to just cling to Jesus no matter what and trust him no matter what, as remarkable as it is, there's something that we see in this passage uh, that is, comes over and over again, and it's, it's this. He cannot do it alone. As much as he has faith in God, he believes in God, he's seen revelations from God, he knows the Bible about God, he still could not do it on his own. And that is true as we read through the rest of the book of Acts. He does not go anywhere on his own. One time in Athens, while he's waiting for other people to get there, he speaks the gospel while he's by himself. But otherwise, he goes with Barnabas, or he goes with Silas, or he's with Priscilla and Aquila, or he's... In all his letters, he's thanked this person, this person, this person. He is, it is not a solo thing. I'm a spiritual person with God, and I just figured it's some private thing. It's just me. No. It is always with other people. We, he knows we need other people. We need each other. We need to draw strength from each other. We cannot just do it on our own. So, verse 17 from last week. Then Ananias went to the house. And entered it, placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And last week I talked about, Saul was fasting and praying for three days at that point. 
And yet it wasn't, God didn't just show up again in a vision. Saul learned he needed someone else to place his hand on him. Someone else to say, brother, you're part of the family. You were an enemy, but someone with skin on came and said, you're part of the family. I'm going to be an advocate for you. That's how the journey started with Saul. And I've been saying the at once, at once, at once, but here's the sentence right before at once he began preaching. Chapter, or verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And then at once he went. He didn't just start like, I got the vision, now I can go do this on my own because I got God, I feel God, I know God. No, he is joined with a community of other people. He has gathered the community of other people. He is with the other people that follow Jesus. And from that, <clears throat> that place, he goes and speaks the name of Jesus. Uh, going, now they're going to kill him, verse 25, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in a wall. He became aware that there was a plot to kill him. But it's with others that he was moved on to safety. Not all on his own, not all by himself. And then there's the other main character in today's passage, Barnabas. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him. So the, disciple, the disciples in Jerusalem said, no, we're not letting this guy in. Like it makes sense to me that Damascus, they would say like, hey, we've heard reports about this guy and he's arrested people and it says he's coming here to arrest people. But then Ananias, he says, well, he was blind and now he can see and okay, we meet him and he's talking about Jesus and okay, we're, all right. This is the first time we meet him, he's already talking about Jesus. But when you get to Jerusalem, this is the people where like, hey, one of my best friends, they're in jail still because of this guy. Well, I have people that have left. I, they, they don't even live here anymore because of this guy. We're not just having this guy. We're not joining up with this guy. But verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas was an advocate. He's not the same. He's in the journey of being changed. We want to bring him in. I'm thinking Jason Henry sitting here in the front row and he, and he gave a message last year about the importance of being an advocate, the importance of having an advocate. And of course, our number one advocate is Jesus, who sends us the advocate, the Holy Spirit. But because we have the Holy Spirit, we can be advocates for others. We can be advocates for people that don't have them. And that's what we should be about often, is we can advocate for each other. So there, there it is. There's the story and the points drawn from this story. So here's... Here's the question. The question is, will you give Jesus your yes? Will you give Jesus your yes? First and foremost, will you give Jesus your yes? I need you. I need you in my life. I want to turn away from the things that are opposite of you, and I want to toward, turn toward you. I need the forgiveness you offer. I need the love you offer. I need your presence that I wouldn't be alone or forsaken even if everyone else is gone. I need you. I need you. Will you give Jesus your yes that you need him? That's first. 
But then from this passage, following the examples of the believers, of the people who have given Jesus that first yes, now, will you go to someone? Will you go? Will you go to someone and maybe speak the name of Jesus? Will you go to someone and show love to them? Will you go? Not just, well, if it's, well, if it's comfortable, if they open the door, if they... Now, I'm not saying just start going in in an obnoxious way, Jesus, Jesus. You know, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying not, not afraid. Not afraid to speak Jesus. Not afraid to go to somebody who you aren't as comfortable with and just show them love. Will you go? And will you advocate? Whether it's for fellow believers here or fellow believers wherever you're around fellow believers or whether it's for people who aren't believers in Jesus. But they need someone to advocate for them. They, they were on the superlatives page. Someone hurt someone really bad from the superlatives page. And you go and you say, I'm going to, that's not true. You know, I, I heard about that or I saw that. No. If you don't know what I'm talking about, good. If you do know what I'm talking about, how could you be an advocate for someone that might be, have, have been hurt through that? You know, in my life, I think about people who gave a yes and then they were advocates for me or they gave a yes and then they invited me in to something. I think about the person who invited me to third church for the first time when I was a college student who had just partied the night before. I think about the person who said, hey, I want you to actually lead this thing in college when I wasn't fully in yet. I want you to lead this thing, and I'll help you. I'll walk alongside you while you, you try that. I think about Brandon Puck. So Brandon Puck was the best man in my wedding. For those of you who know Brandon Hoke, who's a Knoxville guy and went here back when he lived here, he was also the best man in Brandon Hoke's wedding. Brandon Puck's just the best man. That's just, that's just it. So anyway, we, we were deciding at the end of my sophomore year we were deciding whether we were going to go to this thing called chapter camp, which is like a week-long campus ministry thing. And those of you who've heard my story, that is the place at that chapter camp, that's the place where I surrendered to Jesus fully. That's the place where I said, you know what, even if it means being a pastor, which to me was like the worst possible thing it could possibly mean, I will do it. I will do whatever you want. But anyway, before we went there, we were trying to decide whether or not we were going to go. And I had a summer job. This was my week and a half before I started my full-time job. I'm not giving up one week of that to go to some Bible thing. I mean, I'm good. Bible's good. I like God, all that. But gee, come on. I mean, I got a week and a half of freedom. No. So we're talking about it. But deep down, I kind of know I should, you know, some of you may know the feeling. Like, yeah, it's probably the right thing to do. So we're talking about it. And basically, several of us are just hedging for, like, we could go do this. We can go, we can go golfing here. We could, I mean, we're just doing all the... And then Brandon Puck just said, well, 
I'm going. I don't care if you guys go. I'm going. And that kind of took like the easy out. Like if nobody else was going, it was like, yeah, you know, nobody else is going. But one person said, I'm giving my yes to Jesus for this week. And the rest of us kind of fell in line. Now we still went golfing for a couple days beforehand. It was great. But here's the thing. I, this re- realization came to me this morning, and it's, this came to mind. The other three guys that went with Brandon, all three of us became pastors. Brandon didn't. <laughs> but he's still the best man. But he gave his yes. All he did was say, I'm going. I'm going. And then other people are like, yeah, me too. Brandon probably needed it the least of any of us. But he went. And then we went. If we give our yes to Jesus, if we advocate for people who don't have advocates, I think about people whose primary language is Russian. There's a lot of Russian-speaking people in our area. How do we reach out to people like that? We are very, very, very white How do we advocate for people who aren't? How do we be... It's just ways to give our yes. Like I said, people invited me in along the way. You can invite people in. People invited me in along the way to following Jesus, and I told them no. That's okay. Because then someone else invited me and I said, yes, that no had gotten the back of my head. So again, the results, it isn't about, hey, if you give me your yes, then immediately what you're going to see is obvious that this is, no, maybe, maybe not. But what we do is we give him our yes and then he's responsible for the results. We just give him the yes. So I'm going to invite the, the worship team back up. Hey, Matt, can you tell everybody about your dream last night? I know it was like a deep, dark secret of yours. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't. That wasn't that. I wouldn't do that. Well, I might to Matt, but not very many of you would I do that too. But would, is that all right? Yeah. It feels like it fits with what we're talking about. In fact, it changed my message a little bit because of it. So why don't you? This doesn't happen to me very often, but I had a, had a dream where it was like there was this big, vast, um, it was like a sea of glass, and it was black. Um, but there was, I, I'm losing it now. <laughs> I remembered this morning when I told you about it. I've forgotten it already, but um, there was something about um, God's invitation to even walk out on it, and it was just like desolate. But it, there was something about the yes that I just said, okay. And every step that I took on this black glass, like, turned light. So, like, and then I could look back and all my footsteps and the people that I was with, they were all, like, light and it was spreading. And then there were, um, like, even our words. There was something about our words that, like, the fog of our words would, like, make things around us light. So, but it was just like the yes. They're like, we're just saying yes to the Lord. We're going where it's confusing and, and we don't really see the direction, but... It was changing things that were, yeah, that we had touched, that we'd been around. See, I think that dream is from the Lord. I, have, I dream a lot. I dream multiple times every night. 
Most of my dreams, I'm not, I'm pretty sure aren't from the Lord. I mean, they're not necessarily from the devil either, but they're just, they aren't, they're just, you know, like what I ate or uh, my anxiety. I mean, literally, at least monthly, probably more often than monthly, I'll have a dream where I'm just like standing in front of people and like, I, I didn't know I was speaking. So that's just like, you know, that's just my own anxiety. That's not God saying something, I don't think. Anyway, but that one, that's from the Lord. That's from the Lord. There's darkness. There is darkness in our land. And how we fight the darkness is with something, with different weapons. We fight it by following Jesus, by just giving him our yes. And as we give him our yes, like, I will be an advocate for this person that no one else will be. I will, I will go ahead and talk to this person. I will invite them in. I will speak the name of Jesus. I will give the yes. Light comes. And the more of us that are giving Jesus our yes, the more light that comes. So that's our response this morning. Will we give him our yes? Whatever he's asking of us, whatever he decides to ask us in these next days, will we give him our yes? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you gave your yes to the Father. That you would come into the world. That you would give your life for us. Thank you that you didn't just give us a yes, but you literally are the yes and amen of our lives. And we can get overwhelmed. There's so many people, there's so many needs. Would you help us to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone? Would you just put a clear ask before us? Maybe this morning, maybe throughout this week, just one thing, just one thing that we could say yes to. As we are singing these songs, as we're leaving this place, would you bring those things to mind? And then would you also send the help? We need help. We're not fearless. We're not bold, but your spirit can give us those things. We're not wise or eloquent, but your, your spirit can give us the right words at the right time. Your spirit can give us power. Your spirit can show us how to pray. Here we are, Lord, willing. Would you show us what you're asking each one of us? In Jesus' name.